Well, we are starting up a new sermon series today, um, a week earlier than I expected. I was planning on starting a new sermon series next week, but I'm excited, and so I want to jump into this new sermon series. I was going to do a sermon, kind of a filler this week, and then move into it next week, but no, we're going to jump right in. Um, I do want to thank for those who had preached while I was away, thankful to Mitch which is always one of our go-to preachers here. When I'm away, I want to thank uh, Pastor Mike for preaching and actually starting off our sermon series here on missions. And then also Josh Williams, who didn't preach, but I just took my video, sent him the raw video, and he made it far better with all of his editing. So thank you to Josh for all the work you did there. But I want us to spend some time this fall talking about global missions. To every nation, tribe, people, and language. That we're called as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, to reach outward. And part of that means evangelism. It means looking to our next door neighbors, and our co-workers, and our extended family. And seeing how we can bring the gospel, the good news to them. That's evangelism. All Christians are called to do that. Here and on the mission field. We're called to share the good news with those around us. But missions is something different. Missions is to bring the gospel to a place where it does not yet exist. To make it known, to make the name of Jesus known and the message of salvation known to a people who have yet to hear about him. And as we talk through missions and what it's all about, uh, we're going to have some big announcements. Okay, so be ready for that. We're going to hear from some amazing guests. In fact, there will be three missionaries we're going to hear from this fall. Um, All three of them do their ministry and their mission work in that 1040 window we talked about. So keep that in mind. So a lot of it will not be able to be online, uh, unfortunately, for safety and security reasons. You're going to hopefully learn information about missions that you maybe didn't know and hear some incredible stories of what God is doing around the world. But here's the point of it. Uh, What is our role when it comes to global missions? Uh, Each of us individually, yes, but also as a church family together. What is God calling us to do when it comes to reaching these UPGs, the unreached people groups of the world? And you might say, Pastor Rick, got to be honest with you, I don't think God is calling me to up and move my family to China. Okay? <laughs> uh, good. Neither is he calling me to that. So, and I've questioned that many times. Is that what God's calling me to do? To up and move to the 1040 window and do mission work there? And I've gotten the answer over and over again. No, that's not God's calling for me. What then is our role? This isn't just about finding out what people are doing around the world, but what is our role as a church and us individually when it comes to the global mission of the church? I want us to look at Acts chapter 1. Verses 6 through 11. I'm going to start there. This is Missions 101. Just kind of looking at what missions is really all about. And then talking specifically about how that applies to us specifically here at First Baptist Church of Haverhill. In Acts chapter 1, uh, if you don't know the Bible well here, Acts is sort of the story of the early church. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what happened next? It's basically chapter 2 of the gospel. Right? So if the gospel is the life of Jesus, the death, the resurrection, what happened right after that? That's the book of Acts. And I know that Pastor Mike preached from Acts last week. We're in Acts chapter 1, so near the very beginning of the book of Acts, we learn about the ascension of Jesus. 
It's something we don't talk too much about. Of course, Jesus, we know Jesus was born. We celebrate that at Christmas. He died. We recognize that on Good Friday. He rose from the dead. That's Easter Sunday. Four days later, Jesus ascended bodily, left this world and said he will return in the same way in which he left. So Jesus is not here physically on this earth, on this planet. Some people say, I've had a vision of Jesus. Sure, you can have a spiritual vision of Jesus. You did not meet the physical Jesus, because if you did, it's over. (laughs) Jesus is not physically coming back until the end. That's the ascension. Look with me at chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. We read this. So when they had come together, they asked him, meaning the disciples, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation and the application of his word this morning. So here's an outline of where we're going. Keep ministering to the ends of the earth. Keep ministering to the ends of the earth. Keep ministering until the kingdom comes uh, in its fullness. Verses 6 to 7. Keep ministering with the Spirit's power. We see that in verse 8. And then thirdly, keep ministering until we reach the nations, all of the nations under heaven. So look first there. Keep ministering till the kingdom come comes. The disciples ask about, really about the end. And it's a reasonable question. Jesus lived his life. He fulfilled his three-year ministry. He died an atoning death on the cross. He rose from the dead in the resurrection. He's appeared to them a number of times. And now they're saying, all right, Jesus, isn't it time? <laughs> isn't it time for the kingdom to come? Isn't it time for sin and suffering and sickness and Satan to be no more and you to restore everything? Um, and uh, now they didn't know that there would be perhaps quite an interlude of time before Jesus actually fulfills his kingdom entirely. Of course, they still have a, a somewhat misunderstanding of what's to come. They say to Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So in many ways, they're probably still thinking of a political, worldly kingdom, um, but they're not entirely wrong. We as Christians have been grafted into God's people, Israel, and the time will come in which he will restore his people and sin and suffering will be no more. God's kingdom is his reign, his rule over the earth. And Jesus' answer to them is, it's not for you to know when that time is. It's not for you to know times or seasons. That time when I will restore the kingdom in its fullness has been fixed by the Father. So there is a date, there is a year, there is a month, there is a day, there is an hour, there is a moment in the mind and the heart of God that is fixed and nothing's going to change it. (laughs) But we don't know that day, we don't have access to it. 
Now you say, well, Pastor Rick, I thought the kingdom is already here. Doesn't Jesus say the kingdom of God is among you? Yes, and he also says, pray thy kingdom. So which one is it? Is the kingdom here or is it coming? And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, It's both. Uh, Christ, the kingdom, again, is the reign of God. So in Christ's first coming, he has begun his reign. The kingdom is among us. Said Within the lifetime of his disciples, you'll already see the kingdom come in power. They did in the resurrection and in Pentecost as the gospel goes forward. But there is a sense in which we are waiting, of course, in which it will come in its fullness. In which the reign and the rule of God will be complete. And there will be no more sin and rebellion and treachery and suffering and death and grief. And every tear will be wiped away. We live between these two times. (laughs) Between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And you say, Pastor Rick, how long is that time? And my answer is, I have no idea. (laughs) Nobody knows the time or the season. A time oftentimes refers to a year. A season, of course, is a, a part of a year. A time during that year. And as he says here, no one knows. So if somebody tells you, I know when Jesus is coming back, they're wrong. (laughs) Nobody knows. Many people have guessed over church history. They, of course, have all been wrong. Uh, Nobody knows that day. And Jesus even said in his own earthly three-year ministry, he didn't even know. He said, not even the Son of Man knows that day that is coming. But friends, here's what we do know. God has a purpose for it. He has a fixed plan for this time. You might wish that he would come sooner. I do. I would love for it to be today, (laughs) tomorrow, right now. I mean, wouldn't it be great if it was a Sunday when we're all gathered for worship and Christ returns and everything is restored? We don't know. But there is a plan and a purpose for this time. God has set it up for a reason. What is that reason? What are we called to do as we wait for his return? Well, first thing, number of things. First thing is to be faithful. The Bible again and again calls God's people to persevere. So you came to faith in Jesus. You're following him. You're reading the Bible. You're growing. Will you persevere? Or will you lose your faith? There's a new term now. It's called exvangelical. I don't know if you've heard that term. So not evangelical. It's exvangelical. Uh, and the idea is this group of people is growing so Large actually have a name for it. People who have left evangelical Christianity and no longer consider themselves evangelical. Will you stay the course? Will you persevere? Will you continue? What else is going on during this time? We're being sanctified. God has a purpose. We are growing in holiness. We're becoming more like Jesus. We're learning to love God, heart, mind, soul, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And that happens, friends, through trial and temptation. We will never have a time in eternity like this in which we are genuinely faced with temptation and suffering and are called to serve the Lord faithfully in the midst of it. This is it. Can we serve the Lord as we face the battle, the spiritual battle around us? And in doing so, God is taking all the trials and the hardships, all the temptations that you face in life, and he is making you more like Jesus and shaping you for eternity. That's what God is doing. 
in this time. God is calling us to be part of a local church. Why is that important? Because he's calling us to encourage one another. It's not just about you growing and maturing in the faith. Are you encouraging others? Are you strengthening other Christians? Are you serving, using the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Are you carrying one another's burdens? Uh, The Bible says that everyone has been given their own load to carry. But we're also called to help carry each other's burdens. In other words, sometimes that load gets so big and so heavy that you need help. (laughs) Are you someone who comes along others and helps them carry that burden? Put more simply, are you loving? And friends, of course, what God calls us to do until the day he restores the kingdom in its fullness, he calls us to reach the world with the gospel. If God had restored the kingdom at the time that the disciples were asking right there and then, um, most of humanity would never have heard the message of Jesus. We're called to try to see that every human being hears the gospel, but all unreached people on this planet come to know Jesus. You might say, Pastor Rick, I think, aren't we almost done with that? Maybe getting close, but not quite so much. We saw some of it in the video, but according to the Joshua Project, great ministry, by the way, that talks about this very thing, there are 17,406 people groups in the world. People group described, defined as we saw in the video, unique language, unique culture. Out of that 17,000, 7,401 are unreached. That's about 42.5%. If you look at it in terms of population, there are 7.84 billion people in the world. That's a lot of people. 3.27 billion of them are unreached. That's 41.8%. So we got about 60% of the world that has access to the gospel. And if you're a school teacher and your student gets a 60, they're still failing. Right? So we have work to do still yet. Are we reaching those who are unreached? I love verse 8. Don't want to skip over this. We, do, we keep ministering, yes, but we do so with the Spirit's power, with the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in verse 8. We have the Holy Spirit. He tells the disciples they will receive the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happens. They go to Jerusalem. They pray. They go to the upper room. And then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon them, and they are empowered. They are able to speak with boldness and clarity about the good news and the gospel explodes from that point forward until in just a matter of a few hundred years the entire Roman Empire has heard the gospel and has actually becomes the Holy Roman Empire. What do we mean here by the Holy Spirit? The very presence of God. He's not talking about a worldly power as they were thinking. You know, restore it to, to Israel and we'll have military might. This is a power that comes from the very presence of God with us. And he says here, you'll be my witnesses. One who speaks up about what he has seen and heard and experienced. In Jerusalem, that's the smaller city where they're gathered. That's the capital of Israel. Then in Judea, think of that as the larger region. Maybe almost the country. There was a northern part called Galilee, but the country there. Samaria, that's their next door neighbor. That's their Canada. Okay, so for us in the United States, Samaria, next door neighbor, and uh, if you look at the book of Acts, by the way, it's exactly what happens, starts in Jerusalem, spreads through Judea, eventually goes to Samaria, and then unto Rome and into the Gentiles, as he says this last part, then to the ends of the earth. 
That one's going to take a little longer. <laughs> that one is still in progress as we go here 2,000 years later. Go and reach everyone. Every nation, every tongue, tribe, and people on the planet. There will be a representative, Revelation tells us, from every tongue and tribe and people worshiping before the throne. This is not a throwaway verse, friends. The Holy Spirit's presence in this mission is utterly essential. By the way, the Holy Spirit is literally God with us. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it incorrectly. Uh, Do you have it? Oh yeah, it came upon me. (laughs) Uh, It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is is God himself. It's not a force. It's not even just a feeling, although certainly we feel when God the Holy Spirit is present with us. It is the active presence of God among his people. And his spirit gives us power, which means, of course, we're powerless without him to do what needs to be done. Only God can transform lives. You and I can't do that. You can talk to people. You can encourage people. You can tell people a message about a Savior who came 2,000 years ago, but you can't reach into someone's heart. I don't mean their physical heart, their being, their soul, their spirit, and transform them. That they would look upon Christ as Savior and as Lord. That is something only the Holy Spirit can do. God created the church. Isn't that neat, by the way? We're we're gathered here because God created the church. Uh, it's not 2,000 years ago, a group of guys sat around and said, hey, let's start a thing called the church where we meet. <laughs> God began his church, his ecclesia, and he gives it a supernatural work that can only be done by him among us. Friends, we as Christians today and as a church, we need the Holy Spirit's power or nothing's going to get done. We can move the furniture around. But we can't change it in its essence and its being. Only God can do that. We need his power to be a healthy church body. We need his active presence with us here as Christians. We need his power to do evangelism. As I said, our job is to reach out to our next door neighbors. If we want to have an impact here in Haverhill, we want to have an impact in Plastow, Methuen, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, wherever you guys are living, wherever you're working, if we want to have any real impact, we need the Spirit of God's power. We need the Holy Spirit to reach the nations. No way are we going to reach the ends of the earth unless he equips and provides and opens new doors of ministry. I think the obvious application for us is we got to pray we got to pray. Um, it is your, if you're a member of First Baptist Church, it is your duty. All right? I'm putting it on you as a responsibility to pray for First Baptist Church, for our city, and for our missionaries. Let's pray that God does something great. He break, opens new doors and breaks through barriers and actually brings people to himself. And then 9 through 11... Keep ministering until we reach the nations. Until we reach the nations. 
Uh, what happens next is actually kind of funny, and I think it's meant to be a little humorous. Um, Jesus is ascended into the clouds. That's not the humorous part. But Jesus co- is, raises up. He disappears into the clouds, so bodily leaves. Remember, Jesus has appeared for 40 days a number of different times to his disciples. This clarifies this is the last time. This is the last time that Jesus will physically be with his people until he returns. And as he disappears in their sight, by the way, he's not sort of traveling in the sky to some foreign galaxy or something like that. He's simply showing that this is the end. He's not coming back to earth. He disappears until he returns officially and then disappears in the clouds. And they sit there gazing into the sky for a while. We're not told how long they're sitting there staring at the sky, probably 10 minutes until finally God has to send two angels to wake them up, basically. Two men show up in white robes, most likely angels. In fact, when you see in the Bible an unnamed person just called a man or two men, uh, oftentimes that is referring to angels, and they say, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there staring at the sky? (laughs) In other words, Jesus told you what to do, and it's not to sit here and continue staring at the the sky. Uh, Get to business. Stop navel-gazing, or in this case, I guess it's sky-gazing, and get to work. You have a job to do. Go reach the nations. Time is valuable. And it's temporary. And it's purposeful. And you and I have been given it not to waste it, but to use it well. You might say, Pastor Rick, I'm too busy already. I don't know what you're going to say we got to do, but I'm too busy already. I got my work. I got my family. I got health issues. I got to take care of my house. I got to take care of my car. I got to take care of my garden. I get it. I get it. And those are all good things. We should be about that business, the business of taking care of those things for sure. But understand this God knows us. And he knows that we need a greater overarching purpose to our life. God has given us a mission and a job to do. And we've got to get to work <laughs> reaching the nations. By the way, this unites people too. If you don't focus on an overarching purpose and mission, what happens? Christians tend to infight. Right? We fight about small denominational differences and so forth and get into all of these sort of needless disputes instead of saying, we've got to get to work doing the primary business God has given us. There are 40% of the planet yet to hear the name Jesus Christ. Go reach them. And friends, that is true. That calling is true for every single Christian, whether you stay or go. All right, let's talk about that. How do then do we play our role? And you'll hear more and more about this, I think, in the upcoming weeks. The first thing we need to do is raise up missionaries. So be a church that makes missions a priority. Pastor Mike talked about this last week. Be a church that that makes that an option. Are you called? Bring that brings that question before our church family. Are you called to go? Are you called to leave everything and go to the mission field? And by the way, as many of you guys know, was it a couple years ago, a few years ago, we sent a family of five to the mission field, to the 1040 window, to live there and do ministry. And some of here have served for lengthy seasons of life on the mission field. Are we a church that equips missionaries and sends them? 
Cool thing, by the way, about our church. I've talked a lot about how our church supported Adoniram Judson as he left. We also sent um, the first single woman to the mission field. Did you know that? Her name was Charlotte White. Uh, she, was, she left um, here to go to India at a time in which single women were not allowed to go to the mission field. They were not supported by organizations. They sent only men, single men, or married couples. They didn't send single women. Until Charlotte White, who was a member and was baptized here at the Baptist Church of Haverhill. That's pretty cool, right? That's a pretty neat piece of history that we get to enjoy together. We have to, as a church, next, go to short-term mission trips. Um, I'm going to confess something. Uh, I, for a long time, I didn't really care about missions. <laughs> um, even as a young pastor, I didn't really care about missions. Right? Of course, you've got to do your obligatory talk about missions and you know, meet, meet with the missionaries when they arrive, but I, just, I didn't make a priority of it. Until I went on a short-term mission trip and saw what God was doing overseas. And then I was hooked for life. <laughs> okay, Until I spent some time with my sisters and brothers who have come to know the Lord in places, corners of this planet that you would never think the name of Jesus would be praised. And to see them sitting on the floor, old men, 70, 80 years old, sitting on the floor, Praising the Lord and enjoying the salvation they have received. Until you experience that, friends. People say, well, is it worth it? Can't we just send the money? It costs so much money to send people to short-term mission trips. And forget that. God doesn't work through mathematical, numerical, financial sort of... That's not the idea. There's, how do you put a number on the experience of spending time with brothers and sisters overseas? And what you bring back when you come back that excitement and passion and reality of what you've experienced. Go. Go. You're probably going to spend that money on some vacation anyway. Go to the mission field and see for yourselves. And we want to, as a church, provide opportunities for that. What else? We support missions. Friends, when, I, when we talk about praying for our missionaries, that's not a little throwaway thing that we do on the side we got to pray because theirs is a spiritual work and it can't be done unless the Holy Spirit opens doors. And if we're not praying, perhaps God is not doing what God would do if his people pour out their hearts before him. Relationally support them. Reach out to them. Let them know that they have a church back home that's excited about what they're doing that supports them relationally, that cares about them, that wants to hear what's happening on the mission field, and of course, financially supporting them. Friends, for those to go means somebody's got to send them. It's kind of like, to use a military example here, not everyone can be infantry. If the entire military is infantry and there's no one working on sort of supply and communication in intel, uh, it's not going to function, right? You need some who go, and you need some who send, and some who organize from back home. In fact, usually those who go are much lower than those who are working on sending. Same is true in almost any organization. The same is certainly true when it comes to missions. Are we here sending and supporting? And then one more thing, celebrate it. Celebrate it. I hope this fall 
Maybe you're thinking, oh, we really got to talk about missions, Pastor Rick. I hope that's not the idea. I hope this fall we say, this is an exciting thing. God is reaching the nations. He is actually bringing people in places all around the world to faith in his son. And he's doing all, using all different means to do it. And our church gets to play, however small it may seem, in the big scale. We get to play a role in seeing people who've never heard about Jesus hear that name and hear what he has done for sinners to bring them into a saving relationship with him, and we will meet them in eternity and say, Welcome, brother, sister, and they will say, Thank you. Thank you for going. Thank you for sending. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting a missionary to come to my village and my place and my town and tell me the message that saves. Friends, Jesus gave us a job to do. Go reach the ends of the earth. Wouldn't it be awesome if as many as 10% of FBC end up with at least some season of their life on the mission field? A tithe of our membership. And by the way, we're not way off from that. As I said, we sent a family of five to the mission field not long ago, and some here have spent season of life on the mission field already. Wouldn't it be great if 10% went to the mission field? Wouldn't it be great if half, 50%, 50% of our church went on a short-term mission trip to somewhere unreached and experienced and saw it for themselves? Wouldn't it be great if 100%, all of us, are praying, supporting, and giving in support of missions to the unreached people. And that when we gather in glory on this day that Christ returns as the same way in which he was taken up, we will meet them and celebrate together in glory. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, I know, we know, you know, (laughs) that we're busy, that we have our lives, we have our jobs, we have our families, we have our friends and hobbies, we have our health issues and other financial issues and struggles. Lord, help us as we think about missions to not see it as an added burden, but instead a recognition of the very reason why we are still here. The day is coming when we're going to be on the other side of heaven. And we've seen that with our brothers and sisters already. So many in the last year or two are now on heaven's side. And on this side, what a reminder, Lord, that we have a glorious work to do. A work of prayer, a work of support, a work of sending, and certainly a work of going either short term or long. Help us this fall as we hear from our missionaries, some missionaries, as we Think about this, the calling of global missions as we consider in our own heart and mind what you're calling us to do, to do it as an act of worship and bring you glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.